This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's 12.03, Wednesday afternoon, July 19th. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us. I'm Rob Hart. Soccer's Women's World Cup gets underway tomorrow with the U.S. A big favorite. We'll preview the worldwide event in our next segment. But right now, the latest snapshot on the housing market is out. We welcome in Steve Kirch, Chicago-based real estate expert, joining us on the Village of Bedford Park business line, reminding you to bring your business home. Steve, thank you for joining us today. Uh, I, I don't who remember just exactly right now who said the quote, but uh, it's always a good idea to buy land because that's the thing they're not making more of. And that really is coming into play here with this weakness in the new housing market. And that is there's a great deal of demand for new homes, but it's running into the cost of building them, finding land to place them. And of course, uh, those those persistent and frustratingly high mortgage rates. Yeah, all of those things, Rob, are cutting into the uh, ability of home builders to put up new housing. And those are not new complaints, right? They've been talking about these sorts of restraints for quite some time, but it is putting some added pressure on them at a time when we would like to add inventory to the single-family housing market because you know, the people in existing single family homes are getting more and more reluctant to move. And then the builders are kind of seen as a safety valve there that could allow more folks to get into a house these days. And what is uh, really presenting the uh, the limited ceiling for the new home builders? Is it just uh, dealing with the uh, rising cost of materials and labor, or is it just simply you're having a hard time finding places to put those homes? Yeah, I think you you hit the nail on the head right off the bat, which is there are, I mean, the the builders themselves really bring up four points. Mortgage rates, are are much higher than they were two and three years ago, although historically they're not, but those those are spooking buyers. Construction costs have risen. Uh, as everyone knows, that's inflation across the board, but they have not come down all that much for home builders, so there isn't the kind of crisis we had in the pandemic. And then they talk about lot availability quite a bit, um, and that has to do with land being expensive, land being hard to get zoned properly, and most of the land in a lot of hot home building markets already having been taken up. What is it going to take to uh, break those higher mortgage rates, maybe bring them back into the fives or the fours? <laughs> That's going to take the Fed, I'm afraid, and 
The uh, all indications are that the Fed is still going to continue to raise rates at least one more time here. Um, that's going to keep upward pressure on mortgage rates. And like I said, those folks who already have a good mortgage become more reluctant to move. And that just continues to put upward price pressure uh, on existing homes. And that's making, you know, again, adding to the affordability problems, particularly for first-time buyers. Steve Kurtz, Chicago-based real estate expert. Thank you for joining us today. Conversation that's on the money. You're listening to the WBBM Noon Business Hour. The United States is a big favorite in the FIFA Women's World Cup as it gets underway in Australia and New Zealand tomorrow. Let's talk about the business aspects of the global competition with Tim Hanlon, founder and CEO of the Verter Group based in Chicago. Tim, thank you for joining us today. And even though uh, the U.S. is considered a heavy favorite going into the Women's World Cup competition, uh, will there be a bit of a time zone penalty when it comes to American viewers being able to watch an American team? Always hard, right, when you're talking about events in Australia and New Zealand. Uh, the uh, looks like the organizers, though, have done their best to uh, ensure that uh, the U.S., as well as a number of marquee European teams that tend to be in the mix for challenging uh, the U.S. for supremacy will have at least some level of favorable uh, viewing opportunities. So, you know, the, the, the games are getting kicked off uh, this morning, tomorrow morning, if you will, 3 a.m., I think, our time. Uh, But I think most of the U.S. games will be within a more reasonable late night uh, or evening, at least, uh, uh, window of opportunity. So, and Fox is obviously a big part of that uh, that that programming and, uh, and and their value in that process. I was going to say uh, Fox and Telemundo uh, do have the rights, and 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 what was interesting, and maybe this was just merely a function of the men's World Cup competition in Qatar uh, being held in November and December. Uh, it certainly seemed to have to have uh, attracted a great deal of attention outside of traditional soccer slash football circles. Do you anticipate the same thing happening on the women's side? Well, yeah, I think there are a couple of different uh, reasons for that. So, number one, obviously, soccer is getting more and more entrenched in the United States as a, as a pro game, uh, uh, witnessed the, the arrival of uh, Lionel Messi. Uh, women's sports is exploding, right, generally. The WNBA, the uh, uh, Women's uh, Soccer League here with the Chicago Red Stars. Athletes Unlimited, uh, which does their uh, softball uh, tournament out in Rosemont, uh, et cetera. It's on and on. And, frankly, the investment in and around sports, both uh, expansion of traditional sports as well as uh, getting into all kinds of new sports and 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 the women's versions of all of those sports too. Uh, you're seeing a, 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 an historic amount of money, private equity and venture capital, especially uh, investing in teams and leagues and new propositions. And women's sports generally uh, is uh, benefiting from that, especially. And the women's World Cup is just a great feature, uh, and probably uh, one of the gold standards of of women's sports generally to, to continue to uh, push that. So, Tim, this is one of, I'm, I'm going to say something, and I'm going to age myself immediately <laughs> as I say it, and that is, um, it seems like only yesterday uh, when Brandy Chastain celebrated the Women's World Cup win uh, on the pitch at Soldier Field, uh, but I've, I've been told that the summer of 1999 is, in fact, 24 years ago. That's an entire generation. So could we have a situation here where you have a lot of parents who remember watching that game in 1999, who are going to be watching the Women's World Cup with their daughters as the competition gets underway. 
I think generationally that is absolutely already underway, and I think arguably that's uh, the National Women's Soccer League is already benefiting from a bit of that phenomenon for sure. But, yes, I'm aging with you as well. I was at the final in 1999 uh, in, in the Rose Bowl, uh, and um, it does seem like a long time ago, but uh, it's heartening to know that it was not a flash in the pan. It is a substantial part and growing part of the American sports landscape. And then very quickly, Tim, you know, there was this joke for the longest time that uh, soccer was, you know, for two decades running, uh, just about to become the sport of the future. Has it finally broken through in America, not only just from the American audience or the Premier League, uh, Ted Lasso being a hit, uh, it just has a lot more cultural cachet. To, it finally, it, that, that prediction finally happened. It finally broke through. I, I think so, but there will always be the Euro snobs who look, at, look down at the American version of the game just because it wasn't invented here uh, as the a better version of the sport. But uh, I, I think it's undeniable that the Fan support and interest in the game worldwide uh, from the United States perspective is absolutely uh, very well entrenched. Tim Hanlon, founder and CEO of the Verter Group in Chicago. Thank you for joining us today. Coming up next, the impact of the strike by the writers and members of the Actors Union is growing daily. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Actors and writers are now walking picket lines together in New York and Hollywood. Let's talk about what that means for the entertainment industry with Tom Layson, media analyst based in Seattle. Find him on Twitter at Tom Layson. Tom, thank you for joining us today. And the most immediate effect fact is you will not see the actors from Oppenheimer and Barbie on the uh, TV shows that uh, can still be produced because of uh, because they have different agreements and aren't impacted by the writer's strike or the SAG strike. Yeah, you know, there's never a good time for a strike. But with theatrical viewing down and coming out of COVID, um, man, this is um, really going to hurt some of the big blockbusters out there, Oppenheimer, MI7, Napoleon. And it is reflected in events. You know, uh, Comic-Con in San Diego is happening, and it's the biggest one. And 40% of the programming in that event involves the stars talking in the Q&A panels and telling the story of the production of these films to their core, hardcore audiences. So all the marketing that you normally associate with the summer blockbuster season, uh, dead silence. It is still amazing to me that uh, Comic-Con is such a lot. The San Diego Comic-Con is such a large part of the Hollywood promotional machine because I fell down an Internet rabbit hole a couple of weeks ago and someone posted pictures from the 1982 Comic-Con and the biggest stars there were the cartoon voiceover guys. I mean, the biggest celebrity 40 years ago at Comic-Con was Gary Owens. And now it's like the biggest stars in the world are going to San Diego Comic-Con because you have to talk to those people. Well, that's it. And it's not just fans now. These folks are also opinion leaders. They're also influencers. So, yes, you've got a, a room full of people who are fans, but half those folks are running their own blogs and their own microsites devoted to promoting these pieces. So the, the echo chamber effect out to the broader audience is huge now, and I think that's been one of the real uh, keys to success of events like Comic-Con. One of the biggest hits on Netflix in recent years was Squid Game, which was a South Korean import, and Netflix can continue to keep putting programming into the pipeline because they can go overseas, but uh, are there certain union jurisdictional rules? You know, when does it become importing programming and when does it become strike-breaking? 
You know, that is really buried in the fine print of the language that I'm not familiar with on those national and international contracts. But the bottom line is, I think the headline is what you state, is that for now, Netflix has a bit of an advantage in the sense that it's got this strong international um, production infrastructure built. Um, You know, subs are up here in Q2 as compared to down a million last year. Password sharing is uh, the crackdowns paying off. Um, the low price point ad is um, supported tier is paying off. So it's all coming up Netflix for now. And uh, hopefully, uh, at least in their opinion, they can last a while here with what's in the pipeline um, internationally. And it may just help them maybe a little better than their competitors sustain uh, a longer strike. Tom Layson, media analyst based in Seattle. Find him on Twitter at Tom Layson. Thank you for joining us today. Still ahead in Personal Finance Wednesday, the financial realities for women who are looking forward to retirement. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This is Chicago's news traffic and weather station. News Radio 105.9. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon, I'm Rob Hart. These are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. More disturbing details emerge about hazing allegations in Northwestern University sports programs. Tens of million Americans remain under heat alerts, watches, and warnings. It's Personal Finance Wednesday, helping women navigate the financial aspects of retirement. And the return of workers to the offices, bringing back some bad behavior. WBBM business, the markets are missing. The Dow is up 145 points. The Nasdaq is down 13. And the S&P 500 is up 10. We have 81 degrees right now in Chicago under mostly sunny skies. Going up to 84 today. It's 1231. Topping our news at the half hour. Lawyers for the first Northwestern football player to sue the university over hazing allegations say they're filing a second lawsuit today on behalf of another anonymous former player. Here's WBBM's Nancy Hardy. Attorney Parker Steiner, who represents abuse victims of former Michigan State Dr. Larry Nasser says they have learned from talking with Northwestern athletes about abuse, hazing, and other bad behavior in baseball, softball, volleyball, and cheerleading as well. This is an institution that failed their students and failed their student athletes. This isn't just a matter of football players against their coach or against their program. Attorney Pat Salvi II says they want to see the investigation done by an outside law firm that initially led to a two-week suspension of coach Pat Fitzgerald. What we'll be looking into certainly uh, is the relationship between the law firm Arndt Fox and the general counsel's office at Northwestern the various edits that may have gone into any investigation. In their lawsuits, two former players accused Fitzgerald of hazing, harassing, and abusing them and others. The university says it does not comment on pending litigation, but says it will bring another outside firm in to ensure accountability and examine the culture of the athletic department. Nancy Hardy, News Radio 1059, WBBM. Nearly 90 million Americans are under heat alerts. CBS News correspondent Jonathan Vigliotti is in Phoenix. Kind of dump ice all over them. So four or five of these buckets, the only thing shown would be your mouth. 
Emergency room doctor Frank Lavecchio is using kid pools and body bags filled with ice to help save the growing number of patients he's seeing with heat stroke. He says his Phoenix hospital has had a recent spike in heat-related injuries. Phoenix is used to heat waves. How unusual is this heat wave compared to previous ones? This is record-breaking. We're breaking the wrong records. The National Weather Service says the heat wave will continue at least through the end of the month. It's 12.32 on the noon business hour. Markets are a little higher today. Joining us on the Village of Bedford Park business line, reminding you to bring your business home, is Chuck Carlson, CEO of Horizon Investment Services and publisher of the Dow Theory Forecast newsletter based in Hammond. Check out his website, UpsideStocks.com. Chuck, thank you for joining us today. And uh, have we officially crossed the bull market threshold? We have under the Dow theory. Yesterday, when the Dow Jones Industrial Average finally closed above that November 30th high, that confirmed the recent significant high in the Dow Jones Transportation Average, thus making the market's primary trend, according to the Dow theory, bullish. And and by the way, that, that primary trend is typically a trend that lasts a minimum of eight months and can last potentially significantly longer. So, uh, yeah, it was good. It was a good day from a Dow Theory perspective yesterday. We did get that confirmation that we've been waiting for. So now that we are officially in a bull market under the Dow Theory, how should investors adjust their trading strategy? Yeah, and and that's really important. I mean, it's one thing to say hey, it's bull market. It's another. Well, what, what do I do with that? And I think what you do with that is is basically, you know, a couple of things. One, you you have a, a greater level of confidence buying in this market, knowing that the primary trend of the market is, is bullish. But probably more importantly, and, and it's not unusual after you see new confirmations of bull markets under the Dow theory, that you see the market have a pullback. And, and that's partly because it takes a lot of energy uh, for the market to kind of get past those previous milestones. And once it does, it tends to take a breather. The the good news is that any pullbacks in here should be viewed as pullbacks within a primary bull market, which means you can have confidence buying those pullbacks, and, and that they're not pullbacks in a bear market and going lower, that they, these pullbacks should be fairly short-lived. And and I think that's one of the, the big takeaways for investors out there. It's like, you know, you're going to get some pullbacks coming up in the market here, um, take advantage of those because those are pullbacks right now within an ongoing bull market. Let's talk about some of the potential market movers today. Uh, Goldman Sachs uh, warned investors that their uh, second quarter uh, earnings statement was going to be underwhelming. And wouldn't you know it, it was. So that really wasn't uh, much of a surprise today. But we have some market movers uh, reporting after the closing bell. And the one that really jumps out to me is Netflix. Yeah, you're, you, we are now kind of getting into that time over the next several weeks when you're going to have big companies coming out with, with earnings, and it'll be interesting to see how those individual stocks respond. You mentioned Goldman Sachs, which was a, you know kind of a, a, a very messy quarter, yet the stock is up today, indicating that you know there were some pretty low expectations for, for those earnings. Netflix, on the other hand, has rallied strongly into its earnings, and it'll be interesting to see how that stock responds. And and quite frankly, you know, earnings will be, you know, very, very important here for, for at least the market's very short-term trend as we get through earnings season, which really is going to kick off here in earnest, you know, beginning today, but especially next week. But, you know, Netflix, people are looking at from their earnings perspective and saying, listen, you know, they're, they're probably adding members pretty aggressively um, because they kind of, you know, put put the clamps on on sharing and password sharing. So it'll see how that turns out as well as their kind of relatively new advertising part of their business. 
Chuck Carlson, CEO of Horizon Investment Services and publisher of the Dow Theory Forecast newsletter based in Hammond. Find him online at UpsideStocks.com. Coming up next in Personal Finance Wednesday, strategies to help women have a successful retirement. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. It's Personal Finance Wednesday, and women face special challenges in retirement. Let's discuss them with Christine Benz, Director of Personal Finance and Retirement Planning at Morningstar based in Chicago. Chicago. Christine, thank you for joining us today. And there are a number of challenges that women face when it comes to planning for retirement. And what are some of the challenges you encounter when counseling your clients? Well, one of the biggies is that we live a couple of years longer than our male counterparts on average. So we have to have our portfolios, our investments last over a longer lifespan. We also tend to earn less over our careers. Women are really crushing it in terms of college graduation uh, relative to men, but over our lifetimes, we we tend to earn less. That's largely because of caregiving, that we tend to be the main caregivers for our children, obviously, but we're also the main caregivers for adult parents oftentimes. And so that can nick away at our ability to earn and in turn save. So we come into retirement with less in retirement assets, and and unfortunately, we're more likely to be poor in retirement than men. What are some of the ways that uh, women can overcome the income gap over the course of their lives? Well, a couple of things to do would be, one, for young women early in their careers, they really need to crush it on the retirement savings front early on, because we know that women's earnings tend to peak earlier than men's at age 44 versus about 55 for men. So if you're just starting in work or you know someone who's just starting in work, counsel her to really get after the retirement savings early. So that would be one thing. Another thing would be for women who are caregiving and not earning an income, if they can continue to save for retirement or if the household can continue to save for her retirement through a spousal IRA, that's a great thing to do. And then also just in terms of the investments, when we look at the data, we see that women tend to be a little bit less conservative, more conservative than men. And so women need to understand the role of risk of of owning stocks in their portfolio. They need to take an appropriate amount of risk in an effort to save enough for retirement and to have those investments investment assets grow over a really long lifetime. And then when it comes to the uh, the, the, the lifespan side of the equation, um, you know, what is your advice in terms of uh, setting up retirement funds, uh, both, let's say we're talking about a married couple, so a, a husband and a wife in this particular situation, um, having them set up uh, retirement funds and also uh, talking about defined benefit pension plans and things like that? Right. Maximizing that lifetime income is is the name of the game. So if you're lucky enough to have a pension in your household, looking at enlarging the payout over both of the spouse's lifetimes is absolutely crucial. And that holds true for Social Security, too, that oftentimes you've got a younger female spouse who has less of an earnings history. She's got less of a Social Security track record. The name of the game in that situation is to enlarge the benefit for the couple. That can often mean delaying the claiming of Social Security for the higher-earning older partner, oftentimes the male. And then we, we did talk about uh, a, a married couple in which uh, we do have a man and a woman, but um, in, your, in your history as a, as a retirement planner and counseling clients, um, 
you know, do these issues become more apparent or less apparent when we're talking about a marriage of two women? Well, good good point. And, you know, we don't have that much data on that, unfortunately. I think we will see more uh, information. Um, the idea uh, uh, for any married couple is um, you're trying to save on behalf of both partners and you're doing whatever you can to, to save on behalf of both partners or in, and enlarge those lifetime incomes. One dimension of all of this is long-term care. So women tend to need more paid long, <clears throat> long-term care than men because we oftentimes are the caregivers for our male partners who predecease us. So it's really important to have a plan in the family, whether it's a, a two-female household or a, or a uh, heterosexual couple, it's really important to have that long-term care in place, especially for females. Christine Benz, Director of Personal Finance and Retirement Planning and Morningstar in Chicago. Thank you for joining us today and join us at this time tomorrow for Technology Thursday and still to come dealing with annoying behavior in the workplace. Your daily transaction for useful information. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. As more people return to the office and others enter for the very first time, the incidents of annoying behavior are on the rise. Let's look at what you can do about it with Rick Cobb, founder of the workplace consulting firm to discern based in chicago rick thank you for joining us once again today and uh yeah i would imagine if everybody is working from home and by themselves for a couple of years or maybe three or four days out of the week uh there is a little bit of an adjustment process as everyone gets back together for the first time in three years absolutely uh and and for many of the the first hires it's not even going to be back. It'll be the first experience. So there's for anyone going back from a vacation to work, there's this transition period that we struggle with. Imagine people who are doing it for the first time in three years or the first time ever. And and what are some of the uh, instances of bad behavior that uh, we are, or not like bad behavior, but just merely annoying behavior that people are engaging in uh, once they return to the office? Well, there's there's a million different parts of it, and of course, every company typically of any size has a dress code. So there's an expectation that people will meet that dress code, primarily just so you look like you fit in the organization. If our presentation to the uh, to our customer facing uh, presentation is a little bit more uh, buttoned down, then certainly showing up with your favorite rock band T-shirt and uh, and rolling out your your tattoo sleeve is probably not the way to start. I think there's also an expectation for people that they they when you work from home or if you've never been in work before, you have a lot more um, turf concerns. You're more interested about what's yours, what you get, what you own. And in work, that's a shared community and everybody has to get along with each other. So getting out of your own head and starting to pay attention is a lot of people who just say, well, I'm not doing that because whatever. And it's you're in the middle of a meeting where the other five people uh, they they need to get the work done, and they don't really care what if your show's on or if you want to have chimki, uh, kimchi. How much of this is uh, self-regulating? You know, just inside an office, uh, everybody knows what the expectations are, and then there's some, uh, uh, I would say, passive enforcement uh, if you don't uh, follow those expectations. And how and, and when does HR get involved? <laughs> well, we're we're social animals. So, and the new thing that we have that we didn't used to have, say, t- thirty years ago, is you have you have 60 years 
uh, 60 year span of people working. You have people that are going to be uh, just coming into the workforce and you have people that have, have been in the workforce for as, as long as 50 or 60 years. So you have five generations in, in some organizations. And so the expectations that you have don't necessarily translate to the expectations that anybody else has. And then there's the hierarchy. So the, the most common sense thing you can do is pay attention to the hierarchy as you go into the organization and make your work be more important than the way you look, the way you speak, or how you act, particularly if it doesn't fit the norm. Now, HR shouldn't really get involved. I think most companies of any size probably have uh, dress code and behavior codes, et cetera. Um, but those are really for the, the outliers who just aren't listening and don't want to don't want to do what they're supposed to. If you just use some comments, think of it like a first date. You know, your your first time back to the work or is is that when you're dating, as you're trying to make a good impression, doesn't mean you're going to keep that good impression forever. Eventually, my wife's going to find out what I'm like. But uh, in the beginning, <laughs> you want to make sure you put the the best possible impression first. Rick Cobb, founder of the workplace consulting firm To Discern in Chicago.